Welcome to the Journey Youth Podcast. Here's the place where you can catch up on past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates when new messages go live. I hope you enjoy it. We talked about those two big words last week, justification and sanctification, that we're saved by faith alone. We're not saved by the things that we do by reading our Bible or showing up to church or any of that stuff. We're saved by our confession of faith in Jesus, and uh, we have salvation through that alone. And then sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus, which is the part of the letter that we're in. Paul has been is now telling us, here's how you become like Jesus. Here's how you live out uh, the life of Christ in your daily life. Um, and last week, we, we left off at verse 17 of chapter 3. And uh, you've got a letter on your, pay, on your uh, seat there, which is representative of the letter that the Colossians would have received from the Apostle Paul. If you're not seeing one there, there's probably one on the other seats around you. But we left it off in chapter 3 at verse 17. And he ended it with saying, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through him. So we left it off last week. He's saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the Lord. Do it all in the name of Jesus. And um, he says it a different way in another letter that he wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. 10, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So he's saying the same statement. He just uses some different words as he writes to the Colossians here. Uh, so he basically leaves it off saying, whatever you do in your life, give glory to God. Whatever you do, give glory to God. That's what your life is about. Um, the purpose of living the Christian life is that God would get glory through us. And um, to, well, I think that raises the question like, what is glory? What, is, what does it look like to, for God to get glory? How do we define that word glory? I think you probably all have like something that comes to mind when you hear that word. Um, but it's actually, I was like trying to figure out how to define it today. And I realized that uh, through an article that I read, glory is a really difficult word to actually like describe in one sentence. You know, it's like, like if I was to describe to you a basketball, right? That's a pretty easy word to describe. It's like, you know, it's round. It's got some lines on it. It's about this big. Uh, you, you, you blow it up with air and you dribble it. And then you, you, sh you throw it through a hoop, which uh, back in the olden days, it was a basket. So that's why it's called a basketball. And, and you, you run back and forth on this court and it's usually like orange. Like that's pretty easy to describe. And if you had never seen a basketball before, uh, and then you saw one randomly one day after I had described it to you, you'd be like, hey, that's a basketball that that guy was telling me about, right? Like, that's a pretty easy word to describe as opposed to uh, a word like beauty. You know, how do you, how do you really put uh, like a short meaning to the word beauty? Like, it's pretty hard because there's so many things and so many ranges uh, of, of parts of life that that can apply to and, and there's no like real concrete, like this is beauty, and it's kind of the same thing with glory, is that there is such a range of what glory looks like. And it can be so many different things. But uh, one thing came to mind for me tonight 
or today as I was working on this. And uh, I've got a little video montage of the Minneapolis miracle, if you guys are familiar with that. 2018, the, the Minnesota Vikings, they just, what? Oh, they, they came in clutch, they pulled an awesome play. Stefan Diggs basically almost tripped, but he caught the football and he ran into the end zone and they won the game uh, to go on into more of football. I'm not a huge sports guy, but I know it was a big deal and they kept playing to get closer to the Super Bowl. So I've got a little video montage of a part of what glory looks like. Vikings at their own 39, it's third down. Three receivers right, field and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side, caught by Diggs. Stay up, oh, oh my God, oh my God. 30, no way. So if you couldn't tell her, that is a lot of the youth leaders celebrating over that Minneapolis miracle that we saw there. We were watching it live and we just lost it. Uh, Andrew was in AJ's arms in celebration. It was just a crazy moment. And that's a little bit what glory looks like. That somebody does something that is so amazing and the crowd erupts, right? You got that buzzer beater uh, shot in the basketball game. You got that catch where he almost trips and then he makes it. You got that home run at, in the last inning with bases loaded and it was just enough people to pull it together. And so in whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If that's what glory looks like, what does that look like in our life? Uh, I would say our lives are meant to look like the fans in that stadium or the people in that basement watching the game, right? That Stefan Diggs is represented of Jesus. He makes that catch. We're all celebrating. We're like, yes, Stefan Diggs slash Jesus, you made it. <laughs> and we're just, we're just celebrating this guy. And we're just sold out for him. We're like, can you believe what Stefan Diggs did? He pulled it together. The whole world basically is celebrating over what he did. And that's what it looks like. That's what our lives are meant to look like, to, to uh, just explode at the sign of Jesus moving. When Jesus does something, a miracle, in, in light of what he's actually already done, right? Our lives are meant to give glory to God. And so... Uh, in this, next chap in this next part of the passage that we're looking at, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of talks about three areas that our lives can give glory to God. And um, before we move on, I want you to just turn to your neighbor and discuss what comes to your mind when you think of the word glory. <laughs> so if you want to go ahead and pull out your letter, we're going to just read through this. 
and uh, see what the Apostle Paul is talking about, see what God has to say to us through this, because as I've said multiple times, this was not written to us, but it was written for us. So what does God have for us in this passage tonight? And I just want to pray to, um, that he would open our minds. God, I just pray that tonight as we read your word, as we um, just immerse ourselves in truth, uh, that you would speak to us and that uh, our ears would be opened, that our minds would be alert to what you're saying, and that, um, God, we just would leave this place with a greater understanding of you. I just pray that we would grow in the knowledge of God tonight and um, that we would understand what your will is uh, in a little bit greater way tonight as your spirit gives us wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, we kind of read that and we're kind of like thrown for a loop a little bit, because we're talking about how do we give glory to God, and then all of a sudden he starts in by talking about the role of a wife, the role of a husband, what parents, what kids are supposed to act like, how we're supposed to, like we don't have slaves now, praise the Lord, but um, we have jobs, we have employers, we have commitments and things that we have to do, right? So like what does this have to do with glory? And um, I think the first thing that the Apostle Paul is teaching us through this is that we give God glory, we give God glory through our relationships, and the way that we conduct ourselves with one another. Um, and, and it's in, in a culture where um, the family structure and gender roles and marriage and families are kind of falling apart and kind of is up to, um, there's like a lot of different ideas and theories out there about it. Um, I want you guys to hear tonight that God has said in his word what the family is supposed to look like. I'm not going to go into details on what is right or wrong tonight, but God has put out an instruction manual on what relationships are to look like, what it's like to be a wife, what it's like to be a husband, what it looks like to be a child uh, of your parents, and what it looks like to uh, honor your commitments and have a job and honor your boss or maybe even be a boss, as it talks about a little bit later. Um, It's really important that we follow these instructions because otherwise, where are we getting our truth from? How are we conducting ourselves in our relationships? And I think we see this all over the place um, in families that are falling apart, uh, families that are in chaos. Maybe you have experienced this in your own household. Uh, maybe um, you've experienced it in your workplace. Um, and yet God has told us how to do it right here. Um, and I just want to briefly go through this. I know none of you guys in here are husbands and none of you guys in here are wives yet, but uh, most of you are destined to be one or the other of those, right? <laughs> that is part of God's uh, greater will is that we would be in relationships with each other. And so um, just like tuck this away in your heart for later. Like, 
for you who are like planning on being wives someday, like this is something that you need to know. For you guys who are gonna be husbands, this is something that you need to know. And all of you are children in here, so you need to know this today. Okay, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We don't like that word submit. We hate it. Ladies, you don't like that word, right? Especially when it's submit to a man, right? Ugh, gross. Don't go there, right? Feminism for the win. Um, this is not a sub submit to a man's authority because he's the man of the household and you better do what he says and you're a doormat. That is not who God is and that is not who God is calling you to be as a future wife. But what God is calling you to is to, when you enter into a marriage relationship, you submit yourself and um, the decisions that your husband makes you don't just like turn your brain off when you get married. You don't just um, lay down any opinions that you have, but you submit them to your husband and you don't uh, go over his uh, final decision as a man of God. It goes on to say, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Um, I don't think a husband who is loving his wife and is not being harsh with them is going to be this authority figure in your life who is trying to like make you do whatever he wants you to do and he's trying to live his own life. Like a husband who is pursuing love and pursuing not being harsh um, is someone who is very worthy of being submissive to. Um, And husbands, like, for the, the guys in the room, like, you guys need to know that being a man is not being like this, is not being a hardcore, like, iron rod ruler, uh, doing whatever you want, and the wife does what you tell her to do. Like, you're called to lead your future wife with humility, and when you screw up and you make a mistake, to be like, man, I'm sorry, wife. I totally made the wrong call there. I should have listened to the counsel that you were giving me before I made this bad decision. Um, it's, it's not to be a man who... Uh, you're called to be a, a man who hears what your wife, your future wife is saying in her, her emotions and in her hurt and in uh, what she's asking of you. You're not called to just like go to work and like provide for the family and the wife takes care of the rest, all the, all the small details, okay? So just tuck those little things. Uh, there's so much more that God has to say about that, but um, just tuck that away for later. Um, in a marriage relationship that both of you are pursuing Jesus, uh, it works really well for women to submit to their husband and husbands to love their wives. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but it's something that we probably all have and do struggle with, right? Um, but I don't think it comes down, and some of you might have parents that you like don't really get along with and you don't really respect, but that's not in this passage here. It's not like if you respect your parents or if they're worthy of your respect, then you should obey them. But um, God is really calling each of the people that he's speaking to in this passage to hold up their end of the deal and not worry about what the other person is doing to hold up their end of the deal, okay? Obviously, if your parents are like trying to get you to do something illegal or like something that's against the law or that's something that is like a sin, 
you shouldn't obey that because God is the highest authority in your life. But like if your parents are saying, look, listen, Susie, you got to wash the dishes every night, then like that's something that you have to submit to, even though that kind of sucks, right? But like it doesn't come down to whether that's fair or not. It comes down to you are um, ultimately by obeying your parents, obeying what God has said about being children. Um, so I know you don't want to hear that. I know you've heard it before, but that's what God has to say about it, and there's so much um, blessing in doing that. Um, and the last thing is, uh, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only with when their eye is on you to gain their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Uh, as I said, we can translate this to our jobs, to commitments that we've made within school or in sports teams or in friends. Um, there are going to be, obviously in this context, slaves didn't get paid to work. They had a place to live and they had food on their table, but that's all they had. They didn't have any rights. They didn't, um, they couldn't just decide to leave and go get a new job. Um, but even in that, Paul is saying that even when your master is not watching you, even when your boss is not watching you, even when uh, the person that you've made a commitment to isn't around, like hold up your end of the deal with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. It's not sincerity of heart and reverence for the person you've made a commitment with or the boss. It's sincerity and reverence for the Lord. Um, and whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Guys, every, I think we talked about this last week a little bit, but everything that we do here on earth, we're not doing it for here, right? We're doing it for heaven. We're doing it for uh, this inheritance that is promised to us. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So even if you get gypped in this life, if you hold up your end of the deal and you do what God has said to do in, like in this passage, uh, there's an, an inheritance for you and a reward in heaven. Um, the second thing that the Apostle Paul talks about here is that we give God glory through our prayers, through our prayer life. Um, you don't have to raise your hand, but like, do you, do you struggle with your prayer life in here? You probably do because like, I don't know, it's kind of hard to pray. Like, I struggle with my prayer life. I struggle with having a consistent um, time of connection with God, but we give glory to God through our prayer life. Um, first, simply because when we pray, it's just communication with God. Like, that's all that prayer is. It's just talking with God, and um, that leads us into deeper relationship with God. Like, we can't really have a relationship with God and with Jesus and the Holy Spirit if we're not in communication with them. And the way that we do that is through prayer. The way that we do that is, like, through singing worship stuff. Like, if we're not doing those things, then we're probably not in communication with God, so we're really lacking in relationship with him. And he gets glory when, when we, we have relationship with him. Um, and the second reason that God gets glory through our prayer life, um, he really answered it at the beginning of this book. When he, um, 
we continually ask that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. Part of God's will for your life is that you would be uh, devoted to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's, that's part of God's will for you. Um, and here's why. Because prayer increases your dependence on God. Every time that you pray and every time that you um, ask God for something, uh, tell him what you're worried about, um, tell him what you're, what's on your mind, what you're thinking about, uh, the things in the future that you're, that you're planning, uh, your questions, whatever's in your mind, your desires, your wants, your needs. Like every time that you tell that to God, you're telling him, God, I'm dependent on you for something. And he, he loves to help us. He loves to give you what you need. He loves to uh, blow your mind with revelation. He loves to um, free you from all your worry and all of your doubts. And all, he loves to answer your questions. And he's glorified. He gets glory when we uh, depend on him in a greater way. And that comes through just spending time like praying, um, whether it be like setting aside time in your bedroom, or it's praying while you're on the bus, or it's like, whatever it is, God gets glory through that, and you grow in your relationship with him. Um, and the last way that God gets glory is through our words. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity, and let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, your life communicates a lot about who you are and what you believe and what you're all about. And I think that people, um, I think that people should be able to pick up what we're about in the way that we talk and in the way that we act. And I just had, uh, like two weeks ago, I was with a customer, and we were making a sale, and as we were loading up his truck, we, you know, he was there for about 20 minutes, and we were just talking over things and talking about life and uh, nothing too deep, just kind of casual conversation. And, and we got his truck loaded up, and we came to a, a point, and he said, Michael, you're a really good man. And I'd never met this guy before. But the second that he said that, I was on him. I knew what this guy was about. I was like, this guy is totally a Christian. And so I straight up asked him, I was like, dude, are you a believer? And he kind of paused for a second. He was like, yeah, are you a believer too? And I was like, yeah, dude, no way. Um, and I've had that time and time again with people that I've run into in my life. Uh, whether it be customers or just like somebody at the checkout, like you can pick up on somebody who's a sincere believer and has a true relationship with Jesus because it's changed the way that they talk. It's changed the way that they address you. Uh, like this guy doesn't even know me and he's, and he's like encouraging me saying like, dude, you're a really good man. I think we're like, like, and I picked up on that and I knew exactly what he was doing there. Like, he was trying to get into a, into a conversation about Jesus, and he wanted to push me. He didn't know where I was at. I didn't know this guy. But he wanted to push me closer to Jesus, whether it would be that we ended up having a conversation about Jesus, or whether I went home that night and went like, man, why that guy say, like, I'm a really good man? Like, what is, what is that all about? Like, that's confusing, because I don't feel like I'm a really good man. You know, like, th that, those kind of comments to non-Christians can really spark a lot of questions in them. Um, he says, let your words be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Um, 
I know I've said this a bunch over the last couple of months, but as a believer, our lives should look and sound totally different than the rest of the world. And I I don't know about you, but I can really pick up on when somebody is not a believer and their words are really coarse and they really cut and they really um, are negative and everything's a problem and you can just pick up on where somebody's at. Our words are meant to carry the grace that uh, we've received from Jesus. And not only that, but uh, he uses this example of our words being seasoned with salt, which is kind of weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you think about it like this, um, if you make food and you don't put salt in it, like, it's kind of like, bleh, right? It's kind of gross. Like, I was thinking about this last night. Uh, like, if you had tortilla chips without salt on them, they'd be gross. Like, I've gotten, a, like, I recently got a bag of tortilla chips that must have missed the salt factory or something. And it was just like, this is a huge buzzkill. Like, I don't even want to eat these chips. And when there's salt on those chips, I can kill the whole bag, <laughs> right? Um, and I think it's the same way with our words. He's saying, like, let your words um, leave people wanting more. Like, when you speak, I really hope that people say, like, man, I really want to be around Josie, and I really... I love it when Lillian talks to me because I just feel like a million bucks. And man, when Bradley opens his mouth and when I'm around him, I just, I just can't explain it, but I like it. And I've been on the opposite side. I used to work at a place where it was just really bad. <laughs> like these guys were not Christians and they were... They were all, all the things. They were all the bad things. And like, I would leave feeling just like crap. And like, I didn't like to go to work. Like, it was just not fun. It was like eating an unsalted bag of chips. Like, you kind of keep going back to it because like, well, they're in front of you, but you don't really want them and you feel gross. Um, So let your words draw people in. Let your actions want, make people want to come back for more. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean like always throwing out the name of Jesus. That doesn't always mean throwing out church or religion or any of that stuff. Because this guy who I was talking to, he was just like, hey, you're a really good man. It's kind of like a little feeler in there. And uh, we have to be like totally aware of what the Holy Spirit wants us to say. Because sometimes we're with somebody who doesn't, doesn't want to hear that. They're totally turned off with it. I've been, I've been hanging out with a couple girls who... Uh, are totally against the church. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't think that religion is a cool thing. They're not even sure if like the afterlife or heaven or whatever they believe it is, is a thing. And so if I come up to them and I'm like, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Like, I'd like to bring you to church and convert you to the Lord Savior, Christ. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, screw this guy. Like, we're out of here. And so, like, that's part of our words being seasoned with salt is that, like, too much salt is really disgusting, right? 
Not enough salt is really disgusting too, but too much salt is disgusting as well. And um, I remember hearing, a, I had a teacher in, in my, my DTS uh, who said, he had this friend who one day went out uh, evangelizing he was like at a Burger King at midnight and he was like this crazy skateboarder dude and he went out and he saw this guy on the sidewalk and he ran up to him, got right in his face and he said, do you believe that the Lord Jesus came in the flesh? <laughs> and it turned out that this guy totally was listening to the Holy Spirit and this guy totally received it. But the teacher was saying like, listen, you got to be open to what the Spirit is leading you into because that's not what you want to do every time you go out. That's not what you want every conversation to be because people are going to get really weirded out if you do that. <laughs> so let your words be seasoned with salt. Um, and it's because you guys have truth in you and the world needs your truth. The world needs the truth of Jesus that is living inside of you. And um, you guys are the mouthpieces of God on this earth. Like, you guys are the messengers of Jesus now. He commissioned you and he said, go into all the nations and make disciples and baptize them in the name of Jesus. Tell them about who I am. That's, that's who you guys are as Christians, as believers. You guys are the mouthpieces of God and, and um, he wants to spread his glory through you.